Welcome to the Field Goals Podcast. I'm Brandon Schultz, and joining me today is Jim Harold, host of the Paranormal Podcast. Been doing that since 2005. Also host of Jim Harold's Campfire, Crime Scene, Soulmate Stories, and Pod Lords. And he's here to join us because he's a Browns fan, going back all the way to the 70s. Just a diehard Browns fan. Jim Harold, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing okay. I got to tell you, being a Browns fan is actually scarier than a ghost goblin or UFO that I can think of. <laughs> you've you've been through a lot, Jim, and I yeah. I, I have an appreciation for that as someone who, um, well, I I'll be honest, I abandoned my team in the late '90s um, as a Seahawks fan, and I put part of it on my dad, and you know, just being a kid in junior high. And, you know, my dad was telling me, oh, look out for this guy, Emmett Smith. He was really good. And so I started following the Cowboys, went away from the Seahawks during those bad years. But you know what? You've stuck with your team. I, I had to go away and come back. And now I've, I've been a loyal fan, but I'm, I'm here now. My team left me. <laughs> That's true. I then, then came back and uh, and for the longest time, it just felt like longest time. It felt like just guys wearing Browns uniforms. You know, it took a while to feel like they were really the Browns. And, uh, you know, Cleveland back in the day had uh, a rich tradition of football. Uh, the Browns were founded in the late 40s, um, won multiple NFL championships in the 50s, won a championship right a couple of years, a few years before the Super Bowl started with Jim Brown in 64. And then we fell off a cliff, came back to some great years in the eighties, which is kind of my heyday when I was, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, 12, 13 years old and a later teenager when, when Bernie Kozar came out and those were great years. And then ever since about 89, 90, it's been pure hell. Um, so really, you know, we were really looking forward to this year is like the return to greatness that we've been waiting for. But uh, well, that's kind of what I, I, I've been wanting to talk to a Browns fan because of that fact. It was this off season, you know, Baker Mayfield has a, a great rookie season. I, I went to the university of Oklahoma, so I had been following Baker Mayfield and I was glad to see that he had success early on his first year with the Browns. And so that made me happy. And then they just start compiling players this offseason, getting Odell Beckham Jr. And still Landry is a, a great receiver. And you have some solid pieces on defense that are starting oh, yeah. to come together. So it really felt like this was going to be the year for the Browns to kind of finally break out. You look over the Pittsburgh Steelers, Big Ben's getting older, the Ravens, they lose a lot of their parts on defense. And it felt like this was really their division to take this year. Yeah, I, I think there's still some hope, but I'm less optimistic than I was uh, last Sunday, let's say. I, you know, it's really interesting. You're right. I mean, the AFC North is extremely weak this year. Cincinnati is kind of like the Cleveland Browns South, you know, have been. Uh, and then th- those teams had some great years back in the day, but they've really fallen on hard times. So they're not really a factor. Uh, as you said, the Ravens have lost a lot, so still they're they're, you know, they're formidable to an extent, but they're not the Ravens of old. And the Steelers, especially with the Big Ben out, there's every reason to think that they're beatable. So yeah, this on paper seemed like the the year for the Browns and the AFC North, and all the national prognosticators were saying so. And then the actual season happened, 
with that first game against the Titans. That was a big disappointment. They came back against the Jets. They won, and uh, the season goes on, and we find ourselves at two and three. And I think the disturbing thing to Browns fans is not that they lost to the 49ers, because as much as I'm sure you'll hate to hear this, but do you know it too? The 49ers have a very good team. But the thing is the way they lost. And the fact that they were so totally dominated. So I think we looked at one side of the ledger with all these great additions, OBJ and Baker coming into his second year ostensibly being better, you know, and and uh, the people that they picked up on defense, uh, Olivier Vernon, Sheldon Richardson, Miles Garrett is set for a, you know, a big year, supposedly. And... Now, you know, everything looks like it's in a shambles. I think there's some things we didn't take into account in the beginning of the year. You had a head coach who's never been a head coach before. The person who was actually head coach while they had their little turnaround last year is now the defensive coordinator in New York with Greg Williams. You lost some uh, other assistants that were here, like Bob Wiley for the offensive line. You might remember him from Hard Knocks, the kind of heavy set guy, the hut hut guy. But their offensive line was formidable last year. Yeah. Not so this year. They lost Kevin Zeitler to the Giants and all the trading with the Giants. Also, uh, you have, uh, and this is one that Wiley pointed to, was Ken Sampisi was Baker's quarterback coach last year. Mm-hmm. He's gone. I, I think he's in college or something somewhere, or maybe not even in football. So you have a total turnover of the coaching staff, and you have the fact that teams have had, uh, you know, the last offseason to look at Baker Mayfield on tape, and they see some of his weaknesses. You know, he he gets under pressure, he rolls to his right, and bad things happen. Um, and he may lock on to receivers a little too much. So I actually have faith in Baker long term, but in the short term, he does have uh, weaknesses. So I guess what I'm saying is, is that we were looking strictly on the bright side and we can see there's some real problems now. Now, can they be alleviated? Can things improve? I hope so. I think so, especially with the weaker schedule in the second half of the year. But whew, it's tough being a Browns fan. Well, fortunately, you are in the division you're in and and looking at some of those other teams in the division, they're not running away with it. So I am curious, though, if the Browns organization had to do it over again, do you think they go with Brady Kitchen as as head coach or do you think they go in a little bit different direction, especially with Greg Williams having so much success with the team late in the year and and the and the way that they really put him in good position at the toward the end of last season? Well, I, I I swear, I'm not saying this because I told you so, but at the time that they made Freddie Kitchens coach, not that I'm negative on Freddie Kitchens, sure. from all appearances, he had a lot to do with the turnaround last year, and I think he should have been retained as an offensive coordinator. But if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And I know there's a lot of baggage with Greg Williams. Sure. He tends to be a little uh, bit of a blowhard. Certainly you have that bounty gate thing from a few years ago. But not many teams have a coach who's come in and kind of turned a program around in the second half of the season and say, oh, thanks for your service. Let's move on. And I'm a big admirer of the newer GM of the Browns, John Dorsey. I think he's doing a great job lining up talent. Whether it was him or whether it was ownership, I still think that Greg Williams would have been a better choice simply because they were doing it. You know, they they were achieving, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I think they should have left him in place. I 
I still don't think, I think if they had to do it over again today, I still don't think they picked Greg Williams because I think that they had some kind of bugaboo about him, whether mm-hmm. it was his personality or Bounding Gate. I think they bring in a seasoned coach like a Mike McCarthy or someone. That's what I think they would do if they had to redo that decision today. I don't think they hire Freddie Kitchens again. That being said, you know, let's give him a few games. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it does take, especially for a guy who is you know, such a relatively young coach and, you know, he was, he's kind of moved up through the ranks rather quickly. And I understand not wanting to let a guy like that go to where if you think, right. if you have the expectations for success down the road, you know, don't let him go early, let him yeah. grow into the job and, and know that you can give him time to kind of roll into those expectations. But I want to talk about Baker Mayfield too, because he is struggling as much as it pains me to see. And, you know, I, I know he can be a polarizing type of guy. I think it's fun to have a guy like Baker Mayfield in the NFL, the whole back and forth with the handshake with Richard Sherman. It was such a big deal in the media this week. I think because of those two personalities, Richard Sherman being the personality he is Baker Mayfield being the the personality he is. And he has the ability. Mayfield has the ability to, to poke fun at it a little bit and saying, you know, that might be the first time that I've been caught on camera where it went in a positive way for me. Right. Well, the thing about Baker is, is that I still hold out hope and believe that he can be a very good uh, NFL quarterback. I mean, at the beginning of the year, people were putting him up there with Mahomes, which now we see is not the case. Not we're, we're, no, 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 not close. But I, I don't think that it's a case of all is lost and Baker is, uh, you, you, you know, in a second year, there's such a thing known as a sophomore slump. So maybe this is part of that. So I don't think it's fair to judge him as, oh, he's a great quarterback or he's a horrible quarterback. I think the jury is still out on that. I worry a little bit about, and I want to get back to the coaching just for a minute. Sure. Todd Munkin came in as offensive coordinator from Tampa running more of an air raid style. And then uh, you've got Freddie Kitchens with his philosophies and Kitchens is still calling the plays. So Monken is the offensive coordinator. And I just wonder if, if, and I have no, believe me, I'm just a fan, but I wonder if he gets like mixed messages about which direction we're going in. There was a, there was a local reporter, Daryl Ryder. He is uh, the Browns reporter for the local sports station, 92.3 92.3 the fan and he made a great uh point the other day on twitter i thought he said he thought the problem with the browns offense is that they're trying to go for home runs constantly mm. where singles and doubles would be great and when they've had success they've really focused on those singles and doubles and the running game with nick chubb who has been really a great back for the browns so far so i i wonder if there's mixed messages with the the offensive philosophy I just wonder what that's like. I think that's that's a real problem along with the protection. That being said, I do think maybe, and I don't worry about the commercials. People say the commercials. Well, he's not shooting the commercials now. Those were done on the offseason. Right. I don't think that's a problem. But I do think that it's possible that Baker thought, oh, this NFL stuff, it's not as hard as they say it is, and I got it figured out. I, I kind of think that's possible because he's a confident guy. That's the, part of the reason that it has made him up to this point great wherever he's gone and i think he feeds off that confidence maybe he got a little too overconfident and he's getting a little bit of uh schooling in in the world of nfl football so i think i think baker will be okay i have two worries for him though one is that he has 
maybe different people telling him different things. I don't know. I just worry about that. The other is the offensive line. I think that's been a huge issue. Um, they got rid of Kevin Zeitler, as I said. Uh, you know, they don't really have a solution at the crucial left tackle position. And I really do worry about their offensive line. And we've sent many quarterbacks that had great promise. They get stuck behind a Swiss cheese offensive line. They get hurt. They lose their confidence. They're never the same again. And we've seen it many times in Cleveland too. So I do worry about that. And man, I wish I had something that they could somehow address. Yeah, it seemed like when you did have the offensive line, you never really had the quarterback to go yep. behind that line. That's right. and, and that's, that could be really disappointing. And I think you're right. I think Baker's confidence, it does put a little bit of a target on his back because he does have that kind of cocky attitude. And you hear from Richard Sherman, him saying, you know, that he acts like he's done things in the NFL that he just by his actions, he doesn't really have any business uh, having that kind of confidence quite yet. And so it, maybe it does rub veterans a little bit the wrong way. And it doesn't help when your offensive line isn't great. I, I'm looking at his, his passer rating, Jim, when he's when he has a clean pocket, he's 89.4, which is fine. That's not great. But it's his passer rating under pressure. Twenty two point three. That is That's terrible. Right. You it could is. throw the ball away and have a better passer rating under pressure. <laughs> I can do that. <laughs> and I'm 50 <laughs> years old and wide, not tall. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. He is not well under pressure. And, and many in the local media have said he doesn't seem to have confidence in his offensive line. Even when he gets time, he's got happy feet and, and he's expecting to get hit. So it's gotten into his head a little bit. So I think that probably even brings down that 89. I think that brain, I'd be interested. I don't have these stats. But last year, I'd be interested in stats with a clean pocket sure. and see if those are actually higher I think it's he's playing a mind game with himself. These guys can't protect me. I'm going to get hit. Yeah, we call he, that uh, David Carr syndrome. <laughs> yeah, I remember David Carr, yeah. And the thing is, is that, you know, I know I can relate. Baker is not a tall quarterback. So it's even more important for him to get protection um, and, and get those sight lines so he can throw, you know, like a Drew Brees and, and people like that who are around the six foot uh, level. Oh, yeah. And we're well aware of that, you know, with with Russell Wilson, hey, we, we're going to have another battle of short quarterbacks. So we had it uh, a couple of weeks ago. The Seahawks did going and, and facing Kyler Murray, another former Oklahoma quarterback and and now Baker Mayfield. So I, I do want to get your feelings, though, going into this game, Jim, because how are you feeling going into this game with the Seahawks and Browns? Well, honestly, and I'm not just saying this uh, because you're online. Uh, I mean, I think that uh, really there's on paper, there's no match. I mean, based on their performance this year, I think this should be a game that the Seahawks win easily. I think, and I hate moral victories because, you know, we always talk about those in Cleveland, but I think if Cleveland could give them a good game, kind of what they gave the Rams a couple of weeks back, I thought that was actually relatively respectable against a very good team. Uh, if they could give Seattle a run for their money but still lose, I would be happy, believe it or not. What I don't want to see is another blowout. I, I, I think you, you guys, you know, they say it's your game to lose. It really is. I mean, I don't see I don't see any way Cleveland wins this game. I can see where you're coming from, Jim, just based on 
what you've seen from your team so far and especially coming off that Monday night loss. And I'm still mad at you. I, I hope the Seahawks <laughs> are mad at the Browns because I really needed the Browns. And I was looking at the the numbers, the Browns, they hadn't won a game at home, but they were undefeated on the road. And I'm thinking, all right, here they go. They can they can stay undefeated on the road. They can beat the 49ers, knock them down. That would have put them into second place, put the Seahawks into first place going into this game. And then maybe Seahawks players are a little bit easier on you guys going into this game. But now now I kind of hope that they're hard on you, Jim, and hard on the Browns team because knowing that they that the Browns took away their opportunity to be in first place uh, going into this this particular game. Yeah, well, uh, I've never been, you know, I've never been, you know, certain teams you don't like. Like, of course, here in Cleveland, we we can't stand Baltimore, for sure. example, because they're the former Browns. They took our team, although I felt terrible for Baltimore. I was just a kid, but I felt terrible for the Baltimore when they lost the original Colts. Sure. Um, the Steelers, of course. Oh, I can't stand the Steelers. Hey, you know Seattle. what? We're on board with the, the, the Steeler hate. They beat us. They, they, oh. they took our first Super Bowl away and Super you Bowl go. 40. There you go. But uh, Seattle, I've always felt like kind of like Switzerland. I've never had any <laughs> negative. Although I will say, and this goes back because I had told you, I, I've been following the Browns since I was like five, six years old in the mid seventies. I'm 50 now. Yeah. And I remember when Seattle was basically an expansion team and they, they were like beating the Browns. They, they just, I don't know the all time record. You may have that yeah. in front of you. 12 just and six. Like, <laughs> yeah. Just seems like the Seahawks have the Browns number. The other thing that upsets me about the Seahawks, and we talked about this in podcast movement are your uniforms. Yeah. Your classic uniforms were great. They were silver. They were cool. What's with the green? <laughs> that we need to bring back those classic I uniforms. Mean, I and I, we keep, as fans, warm. we keep pounding the table to bring back the throwbacks because I just, I think that would look so good. Jim Zorn uniforms. That would, I would start rooting for the Seahawks <laughs> when I'm not rooting for the Browns if they brought back the Jim Zorn, Steve Largent uniforms and also go back to the AFC West. But anyway. Well, it's interesting you bring up Jim Zorn's name and that you bring up kind of the history between these two teams. Like, as I mentioned, the Seahawks are 12 and six, so they're leading the series all time. So I can see as a Browns fan and how it how it might uh, impact you as, and think of oh, this team has our number. And really, it was the first three, <laughs> the first three years right out of the gate in 77. Seattle beat the Browns uh, 20 to 19, uh, 78. Seattle got a huge win, 47, 24. And uh, and then the Seahawks won 29-24 and 79. So Jim Zorn really was the guy to have the Browns number. Now, recent history is a bit different story, especially when Seattle travels to Cleveland. And I want to get into that, Jim, right after the break. Talking to Jim Harold of the Paranormal Podcast, longtime Browns fan, remembers the history, remembers the history of the Seahawks dominating the Browns in the late 70s and early 80s. But I'm a little bit worried, Jim, because I look back and it's the recent history that the Seahawks have when going to Cleveland. It's it's a different story Ooh. when Cleveland goes to Seattle. But yeah. when Seattle goes to Cleveland, here here are the last uh, two games, uh, 2011, Colt McCoy was the quarterback for the Browns. The great, the <laughs> wanted, the Longhorn. Yes, yes. The, and, and we got the Red River, River rivalry coming up here with, uh, with yeah, the, yeah. Uh, Texas and uh, Oklahoma. But um, Colt McCoy was the quarterback. 
They get the six to three win over the Seahawks. Ooh, that sounds like a that sounds like a Browns offensive yeah. juggernaut that game. <laughs> it's a terrible it's game. But, but then it was offensive juggernaut Derek Anderson in 2007 that threw for 364 oh, yeah. yards in a 33 to 30 overtime win over yeah. Matt Hasselbeck and the Seahawks. And I think you it's interesting you bring up that Derek Anderson year because amongst all the the heartbreak, we well, we had one year where the Browns went to the playoffs with Tim Couch and Kelly Holcomb. And then we had that year, I think they were the Browns went 11 and five, missed the playoffs with Derek Anderson. We thought, okay, here we go. The Browns are back. Anderson is like a gunslinger. He throws for three, four hundred yards a game. And then and yeah. I think Browns fans are afraid we're seeing that again. Mm. We were seeing, okay, okay, now here we go. The Browns are back. We can have fun again on Sundays. And then all of a sudden, nothing. And, and then I'm afraid people are afraid that, that we're dealing with that again. Maybe all this was fool's gold. So the last time that the Seahawks won in Cleveland, it was a 9-6 to six win over Tim Couch in his third season in 2001. <laughs> Well, I don't think you have anything to worry so about. To, so to bring it all around, though, Jim, the yeah. last time that the Seahawks won big, I'm talking more than a touchdown score, was when Brian Sipe was the quarterback and Jim Zorn was the quarterback for Seattle. It was 1983 and the Seahawks won 24 to 9. So that's that's how far back you have to go to find a more than a touchdown win over the Browns in Cleveland. I hope I hope that history holds out and the Browns do well, and maybe they will. I mean, one thing, the Browns are a young team. And with young team, you see a lot of inconsistencies. Sure. So one week, they look like they did against Baltimore, like, hey, now we're talking. Now something's going on. And then the next week, they look like they did against the 49ers. So hopefully, there'll be a little more, for my perspective, be a little more of that team that played Baltimore and not that team that played the 49ers. <laughs> Well, it feels like this team has kind of been going the way Nick Chubb goes. And with 485 rushing yards on the year, you go back to that Baltimore game and he just has a huge game. But if teams are able to stop Chubb, that's kind of what's putting them in a tough spot. Yeah, if it were me, I would try to feature him as much as possible and try to establish the run. And you know what they always say, even if the run isn't working initially, you got to keep forcing the run to some extent because eventually linemen get tired and then, you know, tackles they were making in the first and second quarter, they might miss in the third and fourth. So I, I think especially having a young quarterback, try to take the pressure off of him as much as you can feature the run and then hopefully that will open up the pass mm -hmm. uh and i mean just uh it's remarkable i mean what we've seen or what we've not seen with uh, odell beckham jr and i don't really put the fault uh, at his doorstep baker hasn't gotten him the ball i don't know if that's play calling i don't know if that's mayfield i have a feeling it's probably a combination of both and uh just uh we need to get some offense but i think I think going for these home run passes is a real mistake. And I wonder how much of that's Baker. And I wonder how much of it's the coaches. I think Baker yeah. has this, I uh, just hit my mic. Sorry about that. <laughs> they, they have this, uh, I get animated when I talk about the runs. I think Baker, one of his flaws, and I'm, I'm sure that he's going to get out. He has this hero syndrome. Yeah. It's like, I got to make the big play. I got to make the 50 yard bomb. It's great when it works, but sometimes you got to say, hey, the 50-yard bomb is not in the cards today. Let's get a seven-yard completion to move the sticks. And I, 
I feel like that's how the Seahawks play. That they play for those big plays, but you need to have that accuracy downfield, and it just it just doesn't feel like it's quite there for Baker this year. And we talked about the offensive line that might have something to do with it. I think that I think you're right. Going with Nick Chubb early, whether the run's there or whether it's not there, that's kind of I, I think that's going to keep this game close because Pete Carroll is a coach. He's happy to keep the game close through the first couple quarters because he thinks his team is going to come through right. in the third and fourth quarter and get the win. And so I I could see this if the Browns come out with that mentality, if they're going to run the ball, the Seahawks are going to focus on trying to stop the run. And it's probably going to if, if that's what happens, it's going to result in kind of a stalemate between these two teams and they're going to push it to the third and fourth quarter. And by then it's going to be either one of these teams game. And so I, I am looking for another close matchup in this game, Jim. Now, I, I hope that's the way it turns out. And again, I mean, ultimately, you always want to win, right? But the thing that I think would be most discouraging to Browns fans if there's a second straight blowout, because guess who's next on the schedule? The Patriots. Oh, geez. And I don't think that they're going to have. I mean, the thing is, though, after the Patriots game, the Browns have a bye week and then a, a very relatively easy schedule. Mm-hmm. I mean, I felt. Going into this three-game stretch with the the 49ers, Seattle, and the Patriots, I I said I, if they win one of three, they're set up well. Yeah, uh, because the rest of, they could almost run theoretically oh, could, almost yeah. run the table the rest of the year because most of it's against the AFC North, and I Buffalo think there's could a card- be tough, but yeah, and that's like probably a, the toughest game in that. Yeah, stretch. and there's like a Cardinals game in there somewhere, and I mean anybody can beat anybody on a, any given Sunday. But on the whole, you know, if the Browns are half as good as people were thinking they were going to be, they should be able to do pretty well with this. I, my prediction at the beginning of the year was ten and six. I mean, we had people in Cleveland saying. 12, uh, uh, what were they saying? They were saying like 13 and three and 12 and four. And I'm thinking, are you crazy? (laughs) But even 10 and six, looking at them right now, looks pretty optimistic. So I I, think 10 and six wins the division. Yeah. Heck, the way this division is, nine and seven might win it. But somebody said that over the weekend. I said, yeah, but the way the Browns are playing, they're not going to get nine wins. Well, you know, one guy that you can't point toward and saying he's not getting the job done. Miles Garrett, holy smokes, seven sacks on the year so far, uh, leading the team in pressures. That's the guy that worries me. Going up against, especially oh, yeah. if they line him up against our right tackle, Jermaine Effetti. Uh, he's he's probably our version of uh, Greg Robinson. Yeah. <laughs> well, peace be unto you. Uh, <laughs> but 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 uh, yeah, the thing is, is that Miles Garrett is a tremendous athlete. I think there's some people that think, you know, he kind of disappeared in that Baltimore game a little bit, but still seven sacks speaks for itself. He said he wanted to be the defensive player of the year. I don't know that he's on track for that right now. But, uh, well, I guess if you extrapolate seven sacks yeah, over the course of the <laughs> over season, six, yeah, that would, that, I think that would do it, but, uh, he's a great player. And I think that really, and, and I think in a way that, I mean, everybody understands the Browns are having problems on offense. The thing that was really disheartening last week with the 49ers was that the defense laid down too, right? Mm-hmm. And they, they chalked up 40, 31 points. So, I mean, I think the defense is the strength of this team. Now, remember, our cornerbacks, Greedy Williams and Denzel Ward, and Ward was an all-pro last year. Yeah, are they going to be back uh, this week? They're both out. They're both out. And they're, I, don't, I haven't heard the latest, but I think they may be out again this week. They've oh. been practicing, but they may be out this week, too. 
Um, and it's funny because I understand those injuries happen like within 20 minutes on the practice field when they did happen. So you wonder, you wonder if they're going to be there or not. And, and the Browns up until last week, the Browns substitutes in the defensive backfield did great. The secondary was great. They, they, they got interceptions. They, they played very well, but you, when you get two of your starting players, your two starting cornerbacks, that, that hurts. It makes it tough. They could be back. This I see them as questionable on the injury report. Yeah. The hamstring injuries can be tough to come back from. So I, that's probably going to be a game time dis- decision for the Browns and those particular players. So that that does kind of that could have an impact on on whether those oh, yeah. and especially you know, if they do come back too early and and they are you know getting beat out there. That it could be interesting to see how that plays out. And the thought might be hold them out because. You have the Patriots game next week, right. and then they've got a bye week. So if you hold them those two games and then save them for the stretch, I could see some wisdom in that. But I guess, you know, Kitchens is going to want to win because even though he's very new into his career, pressure is already building in Cleveland. People are already very upset. Well, Jim, I really want to thank you for coming on and helping break down this matchup coming up between the Browns and Seahawks on Sunday, uh, an early game time, 10 a.m. Pacific time. This is game's going to be kicking off, and uh, I know we're going to be watching it. So if, if people want to follow your podcast, if they want to follow you online, where do they go? Well, if you want to get into spooky stuff other than the Cleveland Browns, check out my podcast, jimherald.com, J-I-M-H-A-R-O-L-D. And you can also type in my name on all the major podcast apps, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. The list goes on and on, and you'll be able to find them. We talk about ghosts, UFOs. All that stuff. Try to do it. Also have some fun with it. Uh, talk seriously about it, but also have some fun and uh, really enjoy doing it. And uh, Brandon, thank you so much for this opportunity to talk football. It's a fun little departure. And I'll say this. I wish the Seahawks all the best, except this coming Sunday. Except this Sunday, yes. And and uh, like I said, I'm, I'm still a little bit mad. But I do hope that uh, the Browns do well in their division. And, you know, maybe we can meet up a little bit later in the season, too. Absolutely. And bring back those uniforms. That's right. <laughs> a big thanks once again to Jim Harold of the Paranormal Podcast for coming on the show and talking Browns football with us. Big game coming up on Sunday as the Seahawks have a chance to go five and one on the season, which would match the best starts in franchise history in 2013 and 2003. They could go three and zero for the first time since 1980, back when Jim Zorn was quarterback. This might be the most times I've been able to fit Jim Zorn's name into an episode. So if you like Jim Zorn and you like this podcast, you can go to getintheflock.com and help support these shows. Between this and the Seahawkers podcast, you're getting about six episodes a week. So if you find value in that, please consider going to getintheflock.com and supporting the show. And be sure to check out fieldgoals.com. John Gilbert has an article up there talking about how after Sunday, the Seahawks are going to need some roster spots. Jaron Reed's coming back from suspension. Phil Haynes and Demarcus Christmas could come off the PUP list, the physically unable to perform list. And John Gilbert has three targets in particular who he might take off that list if the Seahawks add on all three of those particular players. So check that out, fieldgoals.com. And check out Tyler Olson's article on Frank Clark. Sounds like Chiefs fans are not happy. With that particular transaction, of course, the Seahawks let him go for draft picks from the Chiefs. And apparently so far, that is working out in Seattle's benefit. Frank Clark having a hard time in Kansas City. And if you're looking for film breakdown, 
check out John Gilbert's article on Jamarco Jones as he breaks down all of the Jamarco Jones snaps against the Rams. And it's looking like Jones could be getting the start once again come this Sunday against the Browns. Check it all out, fieldgoals.com. Really looking forward to Sunday's game and looking forward to talking about how things go after the game. Until then, go Hawks. Go Hawks.